Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And this week is part two of our conversation with Liv Mariano and Danielle McKenney from the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation based in British Columbia, Canada. In this episode, we continue to discuss uh, education, supports, inclusion, changing the mindset and approach to supporting students, you know, especially when it comes to accessing their curriculum and reaching their potential. There is so much information in this episode, but a great tool to refer back on is their website, dsrf.org. It is packed with free information, uh, some things we will talk about, and some things you'll find as you scroll through their site. If you're in their area, go right to the Programs and Resources section of their site, and you'll see a whole list of services and activities that they offer their local community. They have a wide range of one-on-one services and therapies that they offer uh, speech and language therapy, occupational therapy for children, for adolescents and adults with Down syndrome, uh, sexual health education, and also mental wellness for people with Down syndrome and their families. Scroll a little further and you'll see their group programs. They have a money, math, and budgeting program, reading and communication, a summer social circle, and also things like Hatha yoga and Taekwondo for beginners. Now, those are on-site programs, but like I said, this website is for everyone in our community. Anyone with access to the internet can go to this website. Under their information page, they describe what is Down syndrome. There's a little five-minute video right on the page just talking about what is Down syndrome, a quick guide to Down syndrome for parents. And on this page, they also have information concerning prenatal testing. But there's all kind of information there from educational development, living with Down syndrome, medical and health information. They talk about Alzheimer's, also autism that may occur in someone with Down syndrome. And they also talk about physical, psychological, and social development. There's also a blog, uh, so much information. They, they have information on past events with, with videos that you can look at. And you can always sign up for events that are virtual and see those live or they'll be recorded so that you can refer to that later. So we highly recommend that you take advantage of that website. But in part one, we were discussing uh, visual translations, and uh, Liv used the example of how she uses sentence strips and the equal sign to represent the word are. Remember, like, in how are you, and, and how was a question mark, and are was the equal sign. Um, so let's just get started. Let's get right in. I know, Laura, you had some things you wanted to ask. I had a question when we were talking about the words and things. How would you uh, visually translate when you read a book? That's one of the things, especially going into fifth grade. So this is a selfish question. <laughs> what, what are some supports that you can recommend or approaches for the comprehension of, you know, stories? We kind of touched on this already with the WH questions and just first setting that foundation of making sure that the student has the underlying concepts strong before trying to move on with the more, you know, abstract things. So if you think about the WH questions, some of them are definitely more abstract, but 
some of them, it's just the word that's abstract. So if you teach that who means people or animals, then that all of a sudden is concrete, right? And you pair those together. And like Liv said, you can add a sign so that they have that additional input with that. Definitely why and when are going to be a little more abstract all around, but you know, you can, you can teach that where is places and you can show pictures of a bunch of different places. Um, so maybe uh, Liam's support or, or that student support when they're asking, asking WH questions is to have that visual next to them, you know, to slow down, ask the question, say, what kind of question is this? Is this a where question or a who question? Find it on your visual. You know, oh, it's a who question. So what kind of answer are you going to look for? Oh, it needs to be a person or an animal. But also, if you're getting, you know, a little more advanced in chapter books and you're, you're trying to maybe retell the story or remember details back from chapter one when you're now in chapter five, um, again, just thinking about how you can visually represent those so that they can be accessed again later. So if I'm reading a chapter book with a group of students, I might spend a lot of time in chapter one listing all the characters, talking about their characteristics listing the settings so that if we go to chapter five and we say, you know, who was at the amusement park, um, you know, at lunchtime, then we can go back to our list and say, here's all the characters in my book. Which one of those do you remember being, you know, at the park? So we don't have to every time generate that list of options. It's not like every question we ask has to be a pre-written multiple choice question. We can just gather that information as soon as we're getting it throughout the story and then go back and access it when it comes time to tell about it or to answer the story. Um, we've also used visuals like a road where we you know, put the different events from the story from beginning to end. So you know, this is where our, our story begins and like what happened in the middle. So they just can visually really see what middle means because that again is another abstract concept that they might not have yet. Going way back, we spent time learning those words, beginning, middle, and end. You know, one activity that I do with kids more so for spelling to have them hear, you know, what sound you hear at the beginning, middle, and end is I give them just a little train with three cars and we just spend time saying, where's the beginning of the train? Where's the end of the train? Where's the middle of the train? And they take a little figurine and they put their Paw Patrol dog at the beginning of the train when I say the word beginning. So they're connecting the word I'm saying with a visual and an action like this is what I'm trying to do is find that piece. That was never done for him. I no, I love I love all this. <laughs> and I think you know, I think honestly, you, you're brilliant in the IEP. I can't I, I mean, to have that insight going into the IEP, beginning, middle and end. Oh, it's we're, just I'm so, just like writing this down going, I, well, that was never that was never and what, a, what but see, it it's that that easy kind of insight to to just have it visual. So you un, it's understandable. And I love the taking notes as we go because, uh, you know, a neurotypical child might not take notes, but I've always taught Sophia to take notes. And that is something that kids can use. And if it's not something that's a given, then you can write it in their IEP as far as like that is a support that take notes being taken so they can be revisited because they're still learning. You're still, you're learning the story, but it's not like rewriting it every time. You're absolutely right. And when you were talking about uh, who being a people or an animal, one of the things that when you showed that visual live of it being, how are you? That's an abstract question. <laughs> It took me so long to realize how abstract that question is. And I don't know when you understand how are you, what that means. Maybe that's why so many people say fine, because it's like, uh, I love R is equal. I've never yeah, for put our those listeners, two Liv together. held up a, 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 visual. a visual that 
was I, a hi uh, with a, a person waving, waving hi. How? how is a question mark. R is equal. And then you is a finger pointing to you. Is and there a place where they can find that? I'm going to ask you oh, yeah. where they can find some of these or if you guys have, have these available. Yeah, I actually do think we have some of these resources, um, like the sentence strips and some of um, these visuals um, on our website. So dsrf.org. There's a tab. Is it under programs, Danielle? Yeah. Learn at home resources. And we've, yeah, kind of accumulated. It was done through the pandemic and we're going to leave it up there um, indefinitely and keep adding to it. Um, But for educators and parents to have just some go-to things that are very common. Like you said, I think there is something on WH questions, visuals for having a conversation, visuals, like just kind of some general ones. But yeah, they, they go a long way. Yeah, making these abstract concepts more concrete and what our students already know and can gravitate towards when they're learning them. Well, R as an equal sign is a game changer. That's yeah. a game changer in, in so much of English language homework and so and so many of the lessons that we're learning to be able to grasp and process that. And as we do this podcast, we see so clearly how this is a global community. And, you know, we reach out to you, even though you're from Canada, that's one way that you're supporting the entire community. Now that we have the internet, you can go there and take some of these resources. And it's wonderful. I'm so happy. Your website, is that something, is that a program people can join or pay for a service or is it Yeah, all three. (laughs) So um, yeah, we put information and resources on our website all the time. Um, Yeah, all those resources on there are free. I think the only time we will charge is if it is like a a webinar kind of that we're putting on. We usually do have free webinars, but if it's like a series for educators, but we do try to, yeah, anything we put out there is is usually free. or if anyone has like specific questions, like we are usually, yeah, we're always available to collaborate and support. Yeah. But there is quite a bit on our website. We've kind of, yeah, over the years, like it's, it's accumulated and and we're actually in the process now of going through and revamping our website. Cause we think that, yeah, these questions come up all the time and there's just so many of the same things that we get. So if we can yeah pump up more information and make it more accessible, that's kind of our ultimate goal. There are quite a few recordings of conference presentations and like full length videos and things like that. We have, um, you know, a couple of different language videos that we've um, produced and read early reading videos and things like that. So, yeah, there are some longer, more in-depth uh, resources as well. I was going to ask, you know, because we did we like to talk we, we've talked so much about just education in general and, you know, and virtual is now coming to an end. You guys created this great website, which I'm, I, I just, I think it's such an amazing tool to provide and to provide it for free is, you know, I thank you. I'm looking forward to browsing a lot of the supports and getting some of these visuals from it. But um, how can the tools be utilized during the summer for in-home support? Any, any suggestions that you would have? Yeah, I think we tr- well, the, the education um, department <laughs> at least tried to just kind of put some resources that touched on all the different areas. So, you know, there's a bit on there with math um, and some higher level math like money math. Um, but then there's, you know, phonics, there's comprehension, there's vocabulary um, suggestions. So we tried our best to put on 
activities that could be kind of adjusted higher or lower depending on the level of the students. So I would say, yeah, just just head on there and and have a look at you know what's there. And if you have specific questions about an activity, feel free to reach out. We're going to be inundated with <laughs> questions after this, but that's okay. Uh, we'll do our best to get back to you. Um, but there's also a section in the Learn at Home where it says getting ready for. So that section has, you know, some visuals you might need to print, some number lines specific to activities or different types of handouts, like graphic organizers for comprehension, where we talked about maybe taking notes on character setting, things like that. I think uh, there should be something like that there. Um, but yeah, there's just kind of little pieces of all different areas that you might come across in the curriculum. I want to make sure that we did, you know, how we found you guys was, how Stephen found you guys was uh, the series you did online. Is there anything that you want to share about that series? Anything you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah. So the webinar series is an annual thing that we do. I think that was my second year participating in it. Um, and this year, yeah, with COVID, we definitely changed some of our topics just to kind of like, yeah, the one I did was on virtual learning and how to have success. Um, but yeah, it's something that we do every year and we try to cover different topics um, in education. So um, Danielle does, yeah, like the reading, like early readers, more advanced reading. Um, there was one on AAC and literacy this year because that's often, yeah, a question we get. There's one on behavior and kind of understanding, yeah, making educators aware of like, you know, there's a reason why we act that way and behavior is communication and um, so strategies for that. There's all these different kinds of topics that we cover. Um, we usually do it after school, like in our time. So um, educators can still attend. And yeah, the target population is for educators or educational assistants. I'm not sure if there are EAs in the States, but yeah, anyone that supports someone at school. And we do get a lot of parents though that attend the series and it's basically there to just kind of present from a lens of, yeah, learner with Down syndrome, what works for our students, some strategies and tips for their learning at school, um, and an opportunity to like all collaborate. Um, I know there was a, I think the last webinar, someone on our leadership team connected like all the kind of dots and uh, people were sharing what they're doing with their students. So it kind of all comes together where educators also get the opportunity to share what they do, you know, and share their successes, what they learned, still what they need to learn, but it's a very nice way to kind of sum up the, the series. Um, yeah, am I missing anything else, Danielle? No, I think that you got most of that. Um, so I'll have to have a look if it's, I don't think it's still available right now because it was, yeah, it was available to people who attended um, for a certain amount of time after uh, it was over, but it will definitely be coming out again. I feel like we talked about doing it in the fall again. Yeah. Be wrong. Yeah. We just did it this spring. So, but we normally do it in the fall just to kind of get the school year off and running. So definitely have a look there. I think you can join our mailing list too, to get reminders or, or information about when things are coming out. And so is that something that you have to watch live or is that something that you can access after the, the fact? Yeah, no, if you signed up for, well, this one anyways, the way we did it, you know, during COVID, um, if you signed up, you could watch it live, but then you also were provided with the recordings that you could access for a certain period of time. Okay, great. So if you don't have time to watch it live, you can sign up for it and then you'd be able to access it on more when you find the windows. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. 
what accommodations can you recommend that parents should fight for in an IEP? One thing that I think was mentioned at one point um, is giving our learners like more time. So yeah, they need more time to process things. I'm even constantly reminding myself like, no live, like wait, you know, 10 to 20 seconds before jumping in. Like we want them to be more independent. So I think allowing them more time to either, yeah, like learn a skill or process information is I think a really good one to have on the IEP. I think another one would be um, decreasing maybe distractions um, or um, thinking about strategies to kind of support their learning. And when I say distractions, it could be like classroom, like with noise and, you know, how much things are on the walls, but it could also be considerations to their learning, like when they're given a worksheet, like cover up maybe, you know, all of the, the things they don't need to pay attention to and present information one at a time. So I think that might be something too to advocate for is when you are teaching a skill, isolating, yeah, different tasks um, and targeting just that one thing. I guess that's more of like a, an adaptation or yeah, accommodation. We talked about, yeah, showing or demonstrating learning in a different way. So maybe adapting, like if they're doing a test, can they give their responses with multiple choice or to kind of um, compete with, you know, difficulty with recall or memory, but if they're, you know, presented with options, can they give their, their answer in that way? I was just going to say like little, a little tip along the same lines as the spelling that we talked about earlier, right? Liv mentioned not having multiple questions on a worksheet, but, you know, if you can imagine, say you're working on addition to 10 equations. Well, if you just have a set of flashcards that are all the possible equations, you know, between one and 10, you can just give them that flashcard. It's the same as having 10 of them on a sheet. You just say, oh, we're going to count out 10 of these. We'll do 10 cards today. And then you give them one at a time, then they're only seeing that information, right? And, and to pair that with another uh, way to respond would just be to have their own personal set of number cards. So you're not having to create a multiple choice question every time you just give them their question card and you give them two or three choices of, of numbers, one of them being the right answer. Um, so then they have that option right there. They don't have to say the number out loud. They don't have to sign it. They just have to point to the right card or hand it to you or put it in a cute little bucket or whatever makes it motivating to them too, which um, I think is something else we didn't really touch on, but just have to get in there to use their interests and to use their, um, yeah, just looking for things that motivate them as well. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about using their motivation, their interests to motivate? Sure. It, it just jogged my memory when Liv said, you know, the worksheet covering up things as much as it is great to cover up a lot of that excess information. Sometimes something as simple as their favorite character on the corner of their worksheet mm -hmm. is super motivating, right? So just anything that makes it, you know, like a little more appealing to, to get them in there. But yeah, we always try to start, you know, from day one, knowing what our students' interests are, so what kinds of things they're really in love with, and just inserting those as much as possible whenever we can, you know. It doesn't take anything more to write a word problem in math that includes Paw Patrol characters than it does to include, you know, random kids' names, as they often do, right? So, um, yeah, just finding some way to just, just tweak it a little bit to include some interest that will draw your student in. 
I'd rather figure out how long it would take Iron Man to go from exactly. station A yeah. to station B if Captain America was on train C. Exactly. And see how much more fun it is to think about these things for our students than it is to just use those ones that come straight out of the textbook. Yeah, that's fantastic because it's more fun for us. And then I think that it, I, this learning is fun. I love the whole Thoreau approach where we're just like learning as we're doing because it's enjoyable. It's not a task, you know. I love that. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what they have uh, where you guys are. Do you have curriculum that kids are on curriculum or non-curriculum? That's one of our biggest challenges in school is the fight to keep him on curriculum. For us, we believe it's to keep uh, the school accountable to teach him. It, it, but it also impacts Liam's ability to receive a diploma, and it will further impact his opportunities for education. So can you speak to parents about supporting their children to stay on curriculum? Yeah, I think here, the equivalent of, you know, kind of what you're talking about, we have um, either the regular program, which students would graduate with the, the regular diploma, um, or a modified curriculum. But I don't think, and I'm, I'm not going to claim that I know this for sure, but I don't think that anyone needs to make that decision until high school, whether, you know, they're following which path, right? So for the most part, they're going to be, you know, using strategies that include that learner in the typical curriculum. Maybe they're going to be reducing the number of questions they're required to do, or the number of words on the spelling test, or like how much support they need as far as visuals go, which doesn't necessarily change the task. It just, you know, presents it in a different way. Yeah, so just thinking as much as possible about how you can accommodate before you decide to modify, but also realizing that, you know, our students are going to need more time, more repetition, more, you know, more practice, more opportunities to generalize in different settings and with different people. Um, so, you know, it might be hard to follow as close to the curriculum as the rest of the class does, but that some of those foundational skills are really important. And moving on is, is not going to be beneficial in the long run. So I don't know. I, I don't know how it works with, you know, the way your school, school system goes. But, you know, having a little bit more time, you know, thinking that, you know, Down syndrome is a developmental disability. So, you know, in kindergarten, when all the kindergartens are learning to read, you know, that might not be the time when they're going to learn all the things that they need to learn to be a, a proficient reader. But skipping those steps and moving along with grade level is not beneficial either. So just finding that way to, you know, give them what they need. And it could be a little bit more on the onus of the parent, which can be tricky sometimes too, because we also know our kids are not ready for more schoolwork when they get home at three o'clock, right? So yeah, it's, it's hard because I think that there's so much that will take them away from a typical curriculum that they do still need that extra, but still not saying, okay, well, they need more time to read. So they're never going to do these other things. Just realizing that they're going to be pushed forward a little bit more. I get for high school to make that decision because you can have more of a clearer picture from kindergarten. They wanted to take Liam off curriculum. Oh yeah. That was presented to us in kindergarten. And, and presented until the pandemic every year after to take him off curriculum well, I think, while at I think the same time not supporting him. So right. it's, I think the thing is, is that you, 
if you're not going to support him, then don't further impede him. And I think for parents, it's a hard battle because it's an aggressive battle that's presented to us. And, you know, until we had insight about what was happening and we had to teach our kids at home and actually support them, which I would imagine, you know, I know we saw a greater success because he was given just actually just the accommodations from his IEP. So for us, we, we've always felt that need to just stand up for his, for that ability, because it's not, it's not fair. Like I said, with my, with our daughter, and I probably say it way too often, but with our daughter, she had the same kind of challenges learning or or not grasping things, but it was never presented to, to limit her. And then as she did progress, she was able to even move herself into honors. It was just, she needed that time. Yeah, it was a time that it just clicked. And then we've seen those same things with Liam where, where it, just it just clicks. But Danielle brings up a great point where the difference between moving from the curriculum to a modified curriculum, that in that original curriculum, there's accommodations, yeah. right? But the, but I feel like when, when accommodations are set for Liam in the classroom, even through the IEP process, it's seen as a crutch that shows he shouldn't be in the class. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, that's what I always feel. That's how it's looked at. The school district then goes, uh, see, we have to put these things in, in place for him. And it's showing that he's not getting it. But it, it's just presenting it, like Danielle said, in a different way and give him a little bit of time. And he does he does get it. Not that. But again, but a near, I don't want to just keep it. But a neurotypical student is allowed that. the same yes. thing. It's just a matter of that once you write it down in your mind, it becomes more than it is. And look, there's kids that benefit from a modified curriculum, that benefit from a, a different kind of classroom, and, and, and we're not debating that at all. But when you feel that your child needs to be in this inclusive environment and stay on uh, You should be able to make that decision course. for your child. Yeah, that, we, yeah, that you should be able to make that Because you're the one as the parent who is going to do the brunt of the work. And, and I think it's too soon. Like we, we, we shouldn't yeah, be being, Come on. We shouldn't be being asked in elementary school to, to take away... Because I, to me, I feel, and I know that this is probably this is not fully the truth of the situation. But to me, because of our experience, I feel like it's being asked to be excused from responsibility to our son. In elementary school, that's just what it feels like because we haven't done all that we can do. We haven't given those opportunities. Well, we can see in the framework that's built that it's easier for the school system to put all kids. Generally, all these kids that need special supports, let's say, to put them in another classroom and get them out of the typical classroom, it's easier that way to divide, right? To divide and conquer these kids. But we just see the benefits of Liam staying in the classroom. But you're not trying to conquer a kid. You're trying I, to teach a kid. I, I, I <laughs> you feel want to, that. Kid, you get, ladies want to talk about the importance <laughs> of inclusion Sometimes in a classroom? Sometimes it feels that way to a, to a parent. No, yeah, no, but I'm saying that it yeah. does feel that way because it is, it is definitely like you're trying to put a child in a box or in a box This isn't a warehouse where like they enter the door and that after eight years they come out the door and we're done. Like, you know, it's not just processing through. There's individuality here. Yeah, it's being missed, but it's a, it's an, do you ladies want to talk about uh, the importance of an inclusive classroom? I just was, um, you know, I just had a kind of a picture when you said that, like taking all these kids who need extra support and putting them in a different classroom. Well, imagine the diversity of supports you need to provide in that classroom now. So why is that better than having one or two kids in a classroom who need some support? So it's not, 
it just seems counterintuitive to, you know, what would be the easiest way to provide support, you know, um, the, the number of different ways you're going to need to support those kids in that separate classroom are going to be equal to or more than um, the number of different ways you're going to need to provide support in a typical classroom or in an inclusive classroom. So, yeah, that seems like why would we do that? But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, the other thing too that came to mind is about the kindergarten. You know, we do have, we have found that it's been really amazing the kinds of acceptance that has come, or maybe not acceptance, but just like seeing the ability in the students that we've had from a young age who have started to learn how to read, who've gone into kindergarten knowing the alphabet when some of their typical peers do not. And I think it's like the beginning of that mind shift change, like that yeah, these kids can be like, wow, you already know your letter sounds like this is amazing. Like we can work with that. Right. So giving them that extra edge going in and having a little bit of, you know, even if it's just understanding the routines of kindergarten, um, you know, that we're going to sit at circle time and we're going to listen to the teacher. Well, they can learn that at the library story time. Right. So just kind of having an understanding of what they're up against when they get into school and preparing them for some of those things can help to just change the teachers or the, the team's view of that child too. Um, but yeah, so in inclusive education, I think <laughs> Liv and I had a bit of a chat about this and it definitely is, is something that's, you know, comes up often, but uh, an inclusive classroom can look different and can vary from one classroom, one school to the next. Uh, and I think a big thing that maybe gets confused is that inclusion is 100% of the time in the classroom. Um, and we like to look at it more so under the lens of, you know, inclusion is every child getting what they need to succeed and to learn. So if that means that the best thing for your child is to be pulled out once a day to work on those foundational reading and math skills, then maybe that's what it looks like for your child. Um, that's already happening for some other kids too. I'm, I'm not sure actually if you guys have more of a pullout resource or learning support model or more of a, a push in, but um, it does happen um, in our schools both ways. So yeah, just deciding what's going to be best for that student and as far as what their time is. And uh, I think 40% time in a classroom can be sometimes more beneficial than 100% time in a classroom where you're not included. And I think when we were discussing it, Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong, like we talked about when they are in that classroom, like what does that look like? And the two main things is like, are they participating? Are they involved like with their peers? And is there that sense of belonging for everyone? So it's not just like, yeah, you know, so-and-so is by the door because sometimes he leaves or is disruptive. It's, is he participating like his peers when he is in that classroom? Um, and sadly, sometimes what we see is just integration where that student is physically in the classroom, but they're not participating, they're not expected, you know, the same level of expectations isn't put on them like it is their peers. And I think an inclusive classroom is super important, um, not only for that, you know, that student with a disability, a lot of the times at IEP meetings, they'll talk about like, oh, they're going to learn from peers or peer models, but like, Imagine what that's like, you know, for a student without a disability to learn about like differences and to learn about, like you learn about, you know, empathy and different learning styles and patience and friendship and just, you know, for everyone, like we all have differences, we all have different backgrounds or, you know, beliefs and everything. So I think we have like so much to learn from each other that's that's also overlooked is like, what can that 
student do for everyone in the classroom. And a lot of the times we just kind of like single out these students with disabilities. I went on a rant with Danielle <laughs> where I was saying like, my biggest pet peeve in an IEP meeting is sometimes when these students with disabilities, they have social goals, but that's not the social goal for everyone in the classroom. So it's like this student, the expectation is that they will ask a peer to play or they will, yeah, go join, you know, students when they're playing or something, when that should be the expectation of everyone in that class. Like how wonderful would that be if that was the expectation of everyone is gonna you know ask others to play or be open to that and so I think sometimes the way like you were saying um Stephen like the school is set up we're not putting those expectations you know in a broader thing or broader scope of like what are all our students expected to do you know be decent human beings um, but they're kind of just honing in on the the the, the student and what they're expected to do so like one example comes to mind with a um, kindergartner I see and mom wanted to put together a book about this is so-and-so and she has Down syndrome and she likes to do this and it was a book all about her going into kindergarten and she said she wanted to do it to um, to make it known to parents like it's okay to acknowledge Down syndrome it's not a bad thing yes she has Down syndrome it's okay to talk about it and yeah, talk about her and, and her learning needs. And, you know, she talks with her hands and all these kind of things. Um, but then the teacher, the kindergarten teacher took that and ran with it. And she's now doing, she's making it in the curriculum where she's making all the students in the class do the book and bring in, you know, what do you like to play? And so it's, that's what a true inclusion looks like to me is when you're not just focusing on the student, but you're thinking about it in the context of where they need to participate and operate. Yeah, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent, but no, well, we I, talk about not, it all no, the time. All, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. We talk about it. I mean, we talk about the fact that the Liam is an asset in the classroom. You talk about modeling with other kids. There's thousands of things that Liam should not model from the typical kid in, in a the classroom. Neurotypical classroom. Yeah, there's, there's a lot thousands of things, of things that I they go, should be oh. modeling Liam because Liam is so used to being accountable for his behavior that he sits quietly and listens. They should actually be modeling him. Yeah, and and the asset Liam is. And that's something that I never felt like, I never felt when we were going to an IEP. I had never felt that. We know he's an asset. We never felt he was looked upon as right. an asset. No, no, no. Thanks for clarifying. Yes, I, I felt he was. I just didn't see that that was where the perspective of, of everyone else. And we got it from kindergarten where parents would go, saw Liam get into the classroom, go into the classroom first day of school and look at each other like, wait, am I... Am, Am I putting my kid in the right classroom here? I mean, like... Because you know they suss out who's the teacher who teaches the advanced kid. You know that's just what parents do. They're like... Yeah, do I have the teacher that's that's taking some special kids? Like, that's the idea. That's a hardcore like, sentence to say, but it's, it's absolutely... It's what the feeling I got. No, and it is. It's definitely... I mean, it's the truth. Like, they wanted to know his existence the while year. he was there. But you talk about this book, and, and I was actually asked by a parent to make one. In kindergarten. And my answer was your answer. And I said, I will make one if every other student makes one. 
because everybody has differences. So if we're going to start highlighting differences and what makes us unique, let's highlight everybody's difference. But those books are really expensive and time consuming to make. So if <laughs> I'm being asked to make one, then you can make I And it, that would, those were what I call my bitter years. Like <laughs> kindergarten was not good for me. I was, I was, I just was not happy with how people saw my son. I mean, the kids were all going to learn. Everyone's strengths But it was and only the parents. It wasn't the kids. I mean, right. the, the kids lo- loved Liam. And uh, and I think they learned from him. And you talk about... Uh, you talk about... The, the, I never Again, I never thought about the fact that my son is given social goals and no other child is, count, is held that accountable for their behavior. My son is held so accountable. But on the same level those children are also not at risk of losing their education because of whatever their pace is, but my son is. So you're, it does. Inclusion needs to be reflexive of everybody being held at the same level. Yeah, those goals of like going to a kid in the corner that's not talking to anybody and approaching that kid and saying, hey, how you doing? You want to play or something? That's not given anybody else. That would be amazing. Sometimes kids are encouraged. Or it's like but they're encouraged said. as if it's pity. Yeah. As in, I'll give you a gold star if you go yeah, do, do this. do that and show. Not that this is right. part that makes you a good human. Totally. This will actually benefit society if we can all just be a little bit kinder. I think that's the stigma is why is it be kind to somebody with a disability? No, be kind to everybody. Be you human. Be, be, yes. Kindness and human should be the equal sign. I like that. Hey, write that down. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good, boo. Kindness and human should be the equal. They are kindness and human. And I mean, you start talking we could about- talk forever. Like you said, Liv, I just went on this rant with Danielle, and um, I feel like we could join you guys at any time. Well, because when you're talking, the truth is, is that like those, it's so nice to hear. To be honest, I've learned to be quiet about some of my beliefs and just kind of let my actions change things because- I have sat in IEPs, and when I've said I want Liam to stay on curriculum, and and this was even as early as kindergarten, the the way the administration questioned, you want him to be held to the same bar as all the other students? And I said, yes. And then they repeated it, but with more like, you want him to be, ha-, like the same, this went on for three times until inside, I just wanted to text Stephen and say, this is correct, right? Because I was starting to question what I'm asking for. But what I'm realizing now is I not only want him educationally to be held to the same bar as other children, I want other children to be held as, to the same bar as my son. I think that's what I really want. I, I want, you know, us all to be held to a, to a level of accountability to each other. That's true inclusion. That's exactly what Liv said, too, is that, uh, well, no, Danielle said how inclusive is something when you're separating and grouping kids and then making it separate. You know, that's not. Well, when you ask how can you do it, isn't that more time consuming? And unfortunately, in my brain, I say it's about accountability. And if you have a classroom of children who have different needs and need support, who's really accountable to them? Because, you know, other students will say, Liam Sox just said this, if it's in an inclusive classroom, somebody's going to come to us, which they have before and say, hey, this happened in class today. If you put a group of children who uh, have different uh, needs in a classroom where there's no one there supporting him, them 
or advocating for them, you're relying on one teacher. And if there's an aide or however many aides, you have to really trust. You have to know how that person sees your child because it's not about what they went to school for. It's not about what their goals are. Um, they're probably great, great people that this is the classroom that they want to be in, but that isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is how do they see your child? What do they see your child's ability? Because they will be the one to influence that ability and they will be the one to either lift it or limit it. I'll go back to the last 10 weeks of Liam's fourth grade year and it was magical because he had a teacher who right off the bat, when he read, I, I don't know what she, she had explained to us a little bit about her experience with Down syndrome after the fact, but we didn't know going into it. And she didn't, she didn't know Liam as a student, but within the first week, she had a conversation of his accomplishment, how she could see the amount of work he had done to get to where he is. And it was sadly the first time a teacher has ever, ever stopped to say that. And he, she said it to Liam, you know, Liam knows how hard he works. Liam knows he works harder than most people. He's, you know, he, he knows it. And it was the first time a teacher, teachers should be saying that to him all the time. Do you know, like teachers should just acknowledge even so other children can know that don't complain about your homework. Liam Sox goes home and does homework. You know, he does homework. He's doing the work. His whole day is homework. <laughs> right, right. And it was magical to see not only a teacher who really believed in him, who could acknowledge the work he's done, but also the effect that had on the rest of the classroom mm -hmm. to where kids would support him or encourage him. Well, and Danielle also, talked about how getting kids to succeed at first, right? So give them these questions that are supported so they can succeed and have that going into a classroom. She would come to us and say, I'm going to ask Liam to read the second math problem. So then we have a chance to But that's just an accommodation. Yeah. That it's not the first time he sees it. Yeah. Then he can go, he presents it in his best ability. And that bounces off the other kids of saying, hey, Liam Sox did a really great job. You, you know what it did though, which we noticed like at the last maybe a week or so, is that when she would ask a question, you know, we teach both of our kids, ask questions if you don't know, or answer, participate. She would ask a question, like, are you getting this? Do you need more time? And Liam would say, I need more time, or he'd participate. Well, sometimes either we didn't need more time, or I'd just say, you know, we'll just, we'll do this later to him privately. And you'd hear her ask the question, and there'd be silence, and there'd be a B, and no one would say anything. And then another kid would go, I'm not done yet. They were waiting for Liam <laughs> to ask for the more time. Like they, you could tell that that was, they but were, but they needed to, they needed the time too. So every time kids are afraid, kids are afraid to ask for that time. Kids are afraid not to get it. And what an impact it had on that whole classroom to see Liam there asking questions, participating and, and getting things right, learning and knowing. It was so magical. Like I couldn't have ended the pandemic on a better note than to have this teacher and to like really experience the inclusion and really the joy that that brings. Yeah, there was a moment where he was called upon to do something, but he didn't really want to do it. So he kind of, he, he resisted. He's like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to read this. And he just paused. And another kid, this has never happened before, another kid just, you know, we're, this is virtual, but another kid just came in and said, come on, Liam, you can do it. You're smart. And I was like, oh my gosh. How that is going yeah, to carry right? those kids on for the rest of their lives to then start to make the change that we're all 
really trying to make. What changes does that make? Because mm-hmm. it made, I mean, that experience changed me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, put, it filled me with so much hope of knowing, unfortunately, going into this year's IEP, we're going to say, no, we know you can do it. Yeah, but those are the future. <laughs> These are the supports that we've been asking for. Someone finally did it. So we know it. We know it can be done. We're all about, regardless of what human it is, regardless if it's our child, knowing you can do it. Like, I know you can do it. Sometimes it just means something different, but I believe you can do it. Kind of wonder, like, what are people thinking is the downside of having high expectations? If we just believe that we can do it, you know, step by step, maybe we're not top of the, you know, mountain high expectations, but, you know, just just thinking, hey, maybe this is something that's going to work. I just don't know what the downside is. I I guess sometimes it's more work or it's, or maybe, yeah, that's the question. (laughs) Well, I can tell you the negative side is that when Lori was talking about being in the IEP and saying, I want my child held to this standard. And it was, it was the reaction of, oh, mom, come on, really? And so that idea of, oh, mom, wait to see. We know where this is going. We know the trajectory of this child. So you just sit there and wait with your high expectations. These are the people that could easily push him that trajectory, uh, maybe unconsciously, but they're the ones that are, are seeing his end in the school and pushing him that way, a perceived, perceived notion that, that he hasn't shown us yet. And yet knowing nothing about any of the other kids coming into that classroom, they don't, I mean, you wouldn't do the same thing, right? Right. Right. So we're so excited to share your program. You've given a lot of good information in this podcast episode, but check out the website. Really check out the website, everyone, and 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 see what you can grab from there and, and, and use those tools. Is there anything else that you want to share with uh, the listeners as far as um, opportunities or supports or your organization? Um, in the meantime, like um, there is a website or sorry, a video, I should say, um, under our website. Um, that does directly talk about like supporting students with Down syndrome in the classroom that does cover a lot of the um, like accommodation considerations um, and highlights a bit of their learning profile. So um, I think it's like a half an hour long and goes through a lot of, yeah, the the kind of tips that we talked about today. Um, so yeah, if, if anyone's keen, that one's always up there, which is a really good one to check out as well. Yeah. Anything else I missed, Danielle? Yeah, I guess I would just caution against maybe trying to use all the things and really kind of have your own picture of what the goals are that you have and what the needs are. Because you don't, you know, if your child doesn't need visuals for everything, then we don't need to give them visuals for everything. But really just having that clear picture of like, what is that support? Is it necessary? How am I going to change it or modify it or personalize it for my students' individual needs? And how can we maybe eventually get rid of it or fade its use? Um, but yeah, just really focusing in on what the goals are of, of anything you're doing with that student, right? So many times, you know, I see things happening in classrooms that just look a lot like busy work and I'm not going to transfer, you know, or, or maybe not the most valuable thing that we could be doing with our time. Um, so just at the forefront, always having the goals in mind and, and deciding whether either the activity or the support is is necessary or the best fit for that um, situation. It's maybe a good little tip. Wonderful. Danielle and Liv, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your afternoon. And we appreciate all the information and that you're putting out there, all the support and all the change that you're helping to create in the community. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. 
Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. From the top.